Welcome to episode 12 of Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy. I'm Zach Clancy. Each week, we'll be exploring a topic in education that will be helpful for teachers and interesting for everyone else. Since I figure that most people are done teaching for the school year, I thought that we could take a look at something a little more abstract, because I'm going to save the practical application stuff for a little bit later in the summer when we get a little bit closer to the start of next school year, when you go back to your classroom in August. We're going to be looking at a federal education initiative called Results Driven Accountability, or the RDA. And as we'll see a little bit later in the episode, this is sort of a follow-up or a part two to the IEP episode because, as we'll learn in just a minute here, RDA is a part of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, which we talked about in episode eight. In a nutshell, the way RDA will work is that state special education programs are now going to be evaluated based on things like standardized test scores, as well as the graduation rates of students with disabilities. These scores and rates are going to be used in states' annual progress reports. And annual progress reports are used to determine how much federal funding school will be receiving. So as you can see, this is something that is important to all teachers because it's going to affect school systems across the country. So, you know, even if you don't teach special ed, there's still a strong chance that there are special ed students at your school who probably receive considerable funding from the federal government. And if this funding goes away, then schools are going to lose access to those resources, and it will result in an overall loss of the amount of resources that the school staff and, as a result, the students and teachers will all be impacted. So, you know, I feel like this is something that all teachers should be aware of. But before we get into the details of that, it's time for a collaboration corner. This week's shout-out, once again, goes to Oscar Celos Statum. Uh, his Twitter handle is at TeachCow, and he runs Teacher Talk Live, which are these really cool panel discussions moderated by Oscar. Um, and the panelists, you know, they include experts in the field of education. And uh, these discussions happen every other Tuesday, and you can watch them live on Google Hangouts on air. Um, and then afterwards, uh, Oscar also posts them up on YouTube so you can watch them later. Uh, anyway, the next Teacher Talk Live is happening June 16th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and the topic of the discussion is reflections of the past school year. And as always, I will link to that information in the show notes. As always, I hope you like this episode. Either way, you can reach me at Teacher Talk with ZachClancy.com. Please follow me on Facebook at Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy and on Twitter at Teacher Talk WZC. That's the words teacher and talk followed by the letters W, Z, and C. You can also get a hold of me at TeacherTalkWZC at gmail.com. driven accountability is a new policy that is part of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA. 
and RDA requires that state special education programs use standardized test scores and graduation rates of students with disabilities in their state annual progress reports. And these indicators are used to determine if schools and state special education systems are providing a quote-unquote free appropriate public education in the quote-unquote least restrictive environment to students with disabilities. And that language is according to the IDEA. And so while all states that comply with IDEA regulations receive federal funding, some struggling schools are eligible for increased federal funding. And some school systems are required to adopt RDA to receive certain federal fundings as well as specific grants that are part of IDEA. So until recently, the U.S. Department of Education used procedural requirements uh, concerning the timeline for evaluations, due process hearings, as well as transitional services for students with disabilities to evaluate state special education programs. And um, if you'd like a better idea of some more of those uh, components of special education programs that are used to evaluate them, you can go back and check out episode 8 of Teacher Talk, where um, I talk about the different things that go into an IEP. And so those are some of the things that were used to evaluate state special ed education programs before RDA was passed. Um, however, because of RDA, the performances of students with disabilities on the National Assessment of Educational Progress, or NEEP, as well as their graduation results, um, suggests that special education students are lagging behind their peers, behind students without disabilities. And so as a result, states are now being evaluated based on the educational results and outcomes for students with disabilities. And that's according to the U.S. Department of Education. So although student performance is now included in evaluations, uh, the rankings that state receive under RDA has not changed. So state special education programs, they're ranked into one of four categories. Um, those categories are meets requirements, need assistance, need intervention, and need substantial intervention. And so it's worth noting that as of 2014, no states fall into that last category of needing substantial intervention. So when state special education programs don't fall into that first category, when they do not meet requirements, they become eligible to receive additional federal assistance. And sometimes they must agree to additional federal oversight in order to receive federal funding. And so states that need assistance for two years in a row must obtain technical assistance and the state becomes eligible to receive a quote-unquote high-risk grant. And again, that's according to the U.S. Department of Education. So while states that need intervention two years in a row are eligible for certain grants, states that need intervention for three years in a row um, could be required to prepare a corrective action plan enter into a compliance agreement, or ultimately, they might lose some federal funding. So it's worth noting that 
this is an opt-out program. Um, states don't have to participate in the program if they don't want to comply with the requirements. Um, however, as of 2014, all states are participants in this program. So in 2013, 41 states in the country met the requirement for compliance under the old system that did not look at student performance, the system that existed before RDA. So the following year, that was just last year, when student performance uh, was included, only 18 states met the new federal requirements as opposed to 41 from earlier. So as you can see, that's a drop by over 50%. So um, supporters of RDA argue that the policy, RDA, will improve the educational outcome of children with disabilities by requiring state special education programs to identify the specific area they will target for improvement and plan how they will take action to achieve its desired improvements. And that is according to the Center for Parent Information and Resources, which I will link to in the show notes. Anyway, while this new system, uh, RDA, this new system of state assessment, focuses attention on individual students instead of procedural requirements, like I was talking about before, some critics of RDA such as Diane Ravitch, argue that the reform might be undermining special education by shifting attention away from adherence to individual education program, IEPs, and special education services. So here's the issue at hand. Before RDA, state special education programs had to submit a six-year performance plan explaining how they will improve how they would improve the quality of education that they provided to students with disabilities. And states were also required to provide an annual progress report um, which reports its yearly progress toward enacting its performance plan. And it must provide specific data for categories called indicators. And again that's according to the Center for Parent Information and Resources. So anyway, that's the way it was under IDEA. Now because of RDA, states' annual progress reports are required to include a new indicator, the State Systemic Improvement Plan, or SSIP. And SSIPs are designed to improve the test scores of students with disabilities, reduce the achievement gap between students with disabilities and non-disabled students, and increase the graduation rates and improve the post-school outcome of students with disabilities. So with that said, now I want to take a look at results-driven accountability in its larger context. So RDA is a form of outcome-based education, also called OBE, and it shifts emphasis away from educational inputs uh, such as earned course credits, or time spent in the classroom, or money spent on students, and it, it shifts emphasis towards outputs, such as standardized tests and graduation rates. Nevertheless, there are approaches other than OBE. Uh, for example, inquiry-based learning, IBL, as well as problem-based learning, 
or PBL, have been proposed as alternatives to that outcome-based education. So recently, uh, researchers have argued that inquiry-based learning can be used to assist students in investigating the everyday world and in developing a deep understanding from their inquiries. Uh, additionally, students showed an increase in test scores based on an IBL curriculum. However, this study just looked at a science curriculum in a single large urban school district. Um, and additionally, it argues that further research would need to be done in order to determine whether or not it would be something that would be feasible to do on a large scale, something it would be, make sense to do on, in this case, a national level. And so while project-based learning has been shown to improve flexible knowledge, um, as well as effective problem-solving skills, which, as we learned earlier, is a 21st century skill, as well as uh, self-directed learning, much of the research of project-based learning focuses on medical attention and education of gifted students, so it doesn't really look at specifically K-12 gen ed students. And so, although there have been many small-scale research studies that demonstrate the effectiveness of minimally guided instruction like inquiry-based learning and project-based learning, um, the evidence suggests that these types of approaches are less effective and less efficient than instructional approaches that place strong emphasis on guidance of the student learning process. And, you know, in other words, evidence suggests that methods such as outcome-based education appear to be more effective and efficient. So, as this policy of results-driven accountability is relatively new, it is somewhat difficult to determine what implications could be a result of it. You know, like, what, what's going to happen because of it? You know, there's always those unintended consequences, and no one knows they're going to happen because they're unintended, you know definition of the word. Um, but, you know, based on the high-risk grant requirement that I was talking about earlier for emergency funding, um, the policy, it seems to me, it could have the potential to, to facilitate a sort of race to the middle, you know. So states that need assistance for two years in a row are eligible for special grant money that is not available to schools that are performing better to schools that meet requirements. You know, however, a state that needs intervention for three consecutive years in a row could potentially lose funding. So it sort of creates this weird perverse incentive almost where it's like you want to, you know, as a state special ed program, you'd almost want to need assistance for two years in a row so you can get that extra money for your students and your teachers. Uh, and then after that, you know, not, not need assistance for a third year in a row, but then as soon as possible, you know, get back to that two years of needing assistance again so you can get more of that funding that is only available to schools that need assistance for two years in a row. And so another, you know, potential issue I could see coming out of this um, arises, you know, due to the shift in accountability caused by this policy. Um, so, you know, RDA shifts attention from IEP compliance to those SSIP indicators that I was talking about a minute ago. And so, you know, as a result, schools have this incentive to focus attention on standardized test scores that could be, you know, they could be using that energy toward 
making really good IEPs for their students and then, you know, carrying out those IEPs, you know. Um, and so, you know, Diane Ratvich, a critic of RDA, has argued that the policy will lead to a decline in expensive services such as smaller class groupings, collaborative teaching, inclusion, transportation, psychological support, speech therapy, as well as occupational and physical therapy. And so when when she's talking about that, she's referring to a lot of those services that are potentially available to students through IEPs that I talk about, like I said, in episode eight. So to sort of start to wrap things up here, I have to say I debated this a considerable amount, you know, going back and forth about how I feel about this policy. And I guess I I would have to say, giving it my two cents worth, uh, I would recommend that the policy be adopted by state special education programs, you know, but with some reservations, with some considerations. And let me explain what I mean by that. So as I've mentioned, uh, RDA compliance is required to receive federal funding under the IDEA. And funding is a scarce resource in public education that is often monopolized by students without disabilities. And so for this reason, I feel like the policy should be implemented while being aware of the potential negative or unintended consequences. You know, uh, schools and state special education programs should be aware of the so-called race-to-the-middle effect that I mentioned earlier that could be caused by RDA's funding structure. And additionally, you know, school systems should take steps to align IEPs with student skills and needs, as well as the content and skills that are assessed through RDA. So in other words, the, you know, what is assessed through those standardized tests that are used to assess state special ed programs under RDA. And, you know, lastly, schools and state special education programs should take steps to implement or increase self-monitoring of IEP compliance, especially in regards to the, you know, both the quality and really the quantity of services uh, being received by students with disabilities. So we don't end up in that type of situation that Diane Ratvich was describing earlier that I was referencing. You know, the RDA contains new progress indicators that will divert federal oversight away from IEP compliance. It will, you know, dilute the relative importance of IEP compliance. Um, therefore, schools and state special education programs should increase, you know, the amount of attention that they give to, like I said, making really good IEPs and then living up to them to to make up for the lack of federal oversight or federal interest in that area. So anyway, that's about all the time we have for this week's show. But as always, I'd like to know what you think. What do you think of RDA? Do you think it's a worthwhile program? Do you think it's a program that should be implemented? As always, send your answers my way, along with any other questions or comments you might have about past episodes, as well as suggestions for future episodes you might have to teachertalkwithzackclancy.com. You can get a hold of me on the Colab Corner page. You can also reach me at teachertalkwzc at gmail.com. Please follow me on Twitter at teachertalkwzc 
and Facebook at Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy. That's all for this week's show. I'm Zach Clancy. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.